everybody. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski. On today's episode of the Fact Chat, the Faculty Chat, I wanted to reflect on our recent professional development conference in Chicago. It was just two weeks ago, and I'm still kind of jazzed up about it and all the great sessions we attended and the really um, interesting conversations. And particularly, I wanted to follow up on uh, Dr. Charlie Irvin, the Associate Dean for Faculty at the University of Vermont, and my session. It was an Ignite session, and it was entitled Disruptive Innovation. Is it time for precision faculty development? And I got to say, when Charlie and I were planning this, in my head, maybe I never articulated out loud to Charlie, but I honestly thought we'd be sitting around a big round table with maybe 12 or 14 people. And so I didn't, you know, freak out about over planning too much. And then we walked into the room and there were, where's my numbers here? There were 113 people when I counted. So it was a little bit uh, more than I expected, but it was really, uh, the room was a buzz, and I think it was great, and I loved it, and I really wanted to take today's fact chat opportunity to um, continue, hopefully continue this conversation, because it's just, I can't get out of my head. So I, what I thought I would do is just read over the abstract that we submitted for, um, just to ground us, and maybe some of you weren't at the session in Chicago, and I'm going to read this to you. So again, it was an Ignite session called Disruptive Innovation is a Time for Precision Faculty Development. What if we gave you a million-dollar Ferrari for your next birthday? Would you take good care of it? Would you be proud of it? Would you make sure it is properly maintained, feed it the best fuel, polish it up, take it out on the open road, and let it do what Ferraris do best? Our faculty are Ferraris, and our institutions invest millions of dollars in them but do we properly maintain them? Precision medicine is a medical model that customizes care to the individual patient. Precision education customizes the learning experience to the individual student. Similarly, we propose that precision faculty development would customize professional development to the individual faculty member. In the faculty development world, we develop and facilitate myriad seminars, workshops, lunch and learns, panel presentations, webinars, retreats, and leadership programs. We design some of our programming for special populations. For example, leadership programs for women only, for underrepresented in medicine faculty members, for mid-career, later career, or executives. However, aside from incorporating adult learning principles and perhaps employing multiple modalities of instruction in our faculty development work, we've been slow to harness informatics, abundant data, and artificial intelligence to innovate faculty development. In the AAMC Future of Academic Medicine series, Academic Medicine in 2025, Notable Trends and Five Future Forces, we read that imminent changes are combinatorial, combining and recombining trends, factors, and disruptions that could lead to large cultural, social, and technological shifts over the next decade. Our future faculty members will be accustomed to learning on demand. They will be facile in gathering data and using tools and resources. As faculty development leaders, we must be equally facile in retooling to meet their needs. 
So that was the abstract that Charlie Irvin and I submitted back in whenever the, the calls went out to the AAMC Group on Faculty Affairs Professional Development Conference that just happened two weeks ago. Now, uh, we, we had to do a little teaser during lunchtime, which um, when I heard teaser, when I read teaser, uh, Pavlovian, I've been trained to think of a teaser slide. So I put together a slide that we were not allowed to show. And um, footnote, we certainly did not show the slide that we prepared, and we would never have violated the rules by at our session putting that slide up on the board, on the screen, wink, wink. But we did show one in that imaginary slide, the Ferrari, and the fact that precision medicine, customizing care to the patient, precision education, customizing learning to the student, and precision faculty development, how would we customize development for each and every faculty member? Well, it can't be done. It's just ridiculous. Uh, that's way too much work. Think I'm thinking at Hopkins, we have over 3,000 faculty members. How in the world would we ever develop an individual development plan and customize training for over 3,000 people, but pretend that we could do it. What might we have to pay attention to? Well, these, we, we have right now, we know machine learning and models to predict lung function, risk for prostate cancer, and multiple, multiple sclerosis. Why couldn't we predict faculty success? And then I had all the, the pictures of... Um, Oh, gosh, that movie with the, the robots. I think it was iRobot with Will Smith in it. But I love that concept of we're creating all these these robots. And, you know, we have this, this group of, of robots that were almost like machines, making them uh, the same and working so hard and uh, maybe stripping away their unique features because we want them to be these robots in, in the labs and in the and in the clinics generating money. Uh, and if we customize everything to each faculty member, th there goes the sense of community that we talk about a lot when we do our leadership programs, for example. When we have these cohort programs that occur over a period of time, what we have all observed is that the participants really enjoy that networking and that sense of community. So imagine a whole warehouse full of these identical robots that aren't really engaged with each other because they all have their earbuds in or they're jacked into their phones and they're not really engaging with each other as, as human beings. So that kind of, I have this little bit of a sci-fi fear of if we customize everything, uh, how does that take away the sense of building community and we-ness and and connecting as, as people in, in a community, in, in a culture. Well, that's maybe a different discussion, but that brings me up to speed on um, what that session looked like. And then, again, 113 people, we talked first about, well, let me back up a second. I wanted to say, well, how did we, how did we even get here? And you know, I got here, it was, it was last year, and I think it was in Texas, the, the meeting before this past one in Chicago, but somewhere in Texas, Austin, San Antonio, I don't know, Texas is big. But anyway, we were we had a session, the up at night session. And so um, I remember going to that, and I brought up this idea of precision faculty development. And Charlie Irvin was sitting at the table with me, and he kind of looked at me and raised that eyebrow of his. And after 
and he kind of was nodding and he had that that twinkle in his eye and I said okay you in with me and so we talked afterwards he's like oh yeah I'm in let's do it so he and I decided to partner in crime to to do this session and so that's how it came about and then as a backdrop I just can't get this concept out of my mind I went to a seminar at Hopkins. It was this guy from the Broad, and I'm, I got to find his name out. But it, we, the topic was um, our vice dean for research, Dr. An- Anthony Rosen, brought this man in. And they talked about transform- transformational mathematical ideas of our time. And he spent some time talking about cloud, cloud computing and machine learning. And it got me thinking again, it's just another thing of a coincidence, and and um, I don't believe in coincidences, but it, it put me down this path of we have to figure out this faculty development more efficiently. Then, of course, um, not of course, but, you know, reading, I read a lot, right? Leaders are readers. So Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow got me thinking about this concept more. And then most recently reading, again, Michael Lewis, he's the author of Moneyball, The Undoing Project, and then David Brooks's The Social Animal. It's kind of just been bringing me closer to try to figure out this, this question about faculty development. And, you know, it got me wondering, can we Moneyball faculty development? Can we come up with uh, an algorithm? Is there a formula? How can we predict uh, faculty success? Can we do a better job of uh, helping our faculty members be all they can be and succeed? And then what I did, you know, in the during the session, because we asked everybody who was in our, our Ignite session, Charlie and I said, okay, now at your tables, talk about, you know, if we were to do precision faculty development, and admittedly, you know, sidebar, a lot of us do that. We say, well, duh, you know, we meet with faculty members, we mentor, we coach, we put individual development plans, these IDPs. So we are doing this, you know, some level of career navigation on a one-off level, you know, one-to-one. But it's not standardized. It's not across the board. We haven't, to my knowledge, nobody has, you know, done the protocol for all faculty. So everybody broke up and started talking about this, you know, how would we do it? And it was really an energetic conversation. And somebody in the room pointed out, maybe it was Archie Chatterjee, that Baylor and the AAMC are already piloting this concept of a national or universal promotion model. So that's like thinking about how can we standardize training. Uh, And then, you know, the idea perhaps of having a big tree trunk, a standardized curriculum, and then the branches would be the customized portions, electives, if you will, in a, in a curriculum that would be customized to each faculty member. And, the, you know, that dovetailed nicely with what Charlie Urban had said, you know, faculty are like snowflakes. There are no two of them alike. So, of course, it doesn't make sense. Just like no tumors are alike, you don't treat all tumors alike. However, there is a best practice that you kind of maybe, and then I'm not a physician or um so I don't treat diseases this way, but I imagine there's a certain protocol for uh, the basic, you know, core curriculum, if you will, of, of treating a disease. And then there are nuanced uh, gradations of some kind of treatment, medication or therapy or radiation, if you will, based on that unique tumor. So if our faculty members are unique in that way, can't we figure out how to do this more efficiently 
And then, of course, another sidebar is uh, we have to make sure we do research and the scholarship. We have to get this stuff out there. So that's a topic for another conversation that in a, our research and project development subcommittee, uh, led by doc, uh, Dr. Troy Buer, gave a fantastic workshop on scholarship. And so we got to figure out a, a good model to get journals out there to put this our research out there. But okay, anyway, we know we have to do research and scholarship to um, help our field advance. So back to this idea of moneyballing faculty development. You know, I can't get it out of my head that, and I talked about this in, in our Ignite session, that Amazon.com has as a fantastic way that they figured this whole thing out. When I go online to look for some shoes, I think I gave the example in the session of a, of a, a red dress, I go to Amazon and it, it'll, and I just type in women's shoes and it'll say, do you want to sort by color or size or money or designer, uh, type of shoe, the price of the shoe or the customer rating of the shoe. And I can click all these different features and hone in and get, you know, only maybe five pages versus a thousand of shoes. Then I buy that shoe, pick out what I want, and they are so good at telling me, hey, we got your order placed. Um, we're, we're filling your order. Your order is put on the truck. The order's being shipped. Your shoes are a coming. Here's a tracking number. If you're really curious to know every step those shoes are taken, uh, by the way, your shoes just got delivered at your front door. Hope you like them. You know, whoopsie, you live in Baltimore, so your shoes have just been stolen. Fortunately, we know which ones you ordered. Do you want to order them again? Maybe you want them in another color. And then six months thereafter, anytime I'm on the Google, uh, I'm getting shoe advertisements because they know I like this kind of shoe. And hey, you bought this shoe, you might want to buy that shoe. Other people who bought this shoe also bought this. Do you want this purse? This purse would look fabulous with those shoes. So marketers... Amazon, Google, these people have figured out how to entice us or seduce us. So this gets to what Dr. Martin Feeder at the University of Chicago and I have been talking about recently. He, Dr. Feeder is the Dean for Academic Affairs at the University of Chicago. And he and I have known each other for, gosh, more than a decade when I was back at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. He has a great blog, Deconomics, super genius guy, but he and I debate back and forth about, you know, this notion of carrot and stick. How do you get faculty members to to the water? How do you get the horse to the water? Because, again, the... The marketing people, they figured out how to seduce us and to entice us, and they know how to um, put these pictures and images in our mind that compel us to click on something and get it. Maybe it's some an endorphin hit. I don't know what it is, but they figured this out, and it just kind of fear- infuriated me. How come they figured it out and we can't? They're, you know, they're certainly not smarter than we are in academic medicine, and maybe it's not that we can't. It's just that we've not really had a will to this point to figure that out. And then someone at the workshop rightly pointed out that, yeah, Amazon has figured this out, but sometimes they they mess up. So sometimes they do put these pop-ups on our Amazon, future Amazon searches, or in you know, Google says, hey, you might like this couch. And I think, no, I don't like that couch at all. Why in the world? So the, somewhere in their algorithms, they figured out, well, if I like this, what are the chances that they might like that? 
And I don't like that. And then I wish that would go away. And then I wish they'd stop sending me those stupid um, advertisements. So I say, go away, advertisement. Don't show up here again. I don't like you. And then they say, well, why don't you like me? Can you tell me why you don't like my advertisement? No, I don't want to tell you that. But it annoys me. So we don't want to run the risk of annoying our faculty members by similarly saying, hey, you went to this workshop on time management. Do you also want to go to this workshop on time management? It's only six hours long, but it's a good investment of your time. No, I don't want to go to six-hour session on time management. That's nonsense. So we don't want to risk alienating our faculty members. So that is definitely um, you know, something we have to be mindful of, not copying, you know, of course, learning the good things about our peers and in other industries, but being mindful of not duplicating or making their same mistakes. So um, again, back to this whole thing of Amazon, I, I always talk about this, like it, it just seems so obvious to me that we should be able to figure out ways of helping make things easier for our faculty in terms of faculty development. And then that... Some of the other follow-up was in the, the workshop was, all right, so we figured out how we could do it. We talked sort of about how we could do it, you know, customizing and and figuring out the niche for each faculty member. One table had a really um, interesting concept of, you know, we talk about promotion and there are certain tracks and pathways of doing that and certainly criteria, but there are some institutions, and I think University of Chicago, Dr. Frieder, they seem to have a, this system in place where you you recognize the unique niche or fit for each faculty member and recognizing that, again, as a snowflake, they're not going to fit in a certain specific lane of, uh, you know, some very... uh, It's hard to put them in a model of or a prototype of of a, a faculty member in XYZ because they're all so unique. And that's what I'm sure each of us understands that when faculty members come to us in our institutions as practitioners and research practitioners and educators and program builders and scientists and all the various uh, uh, permutations and combinations of all those interests, they're like, well, I'm unique. I'm different. Well, of course you are. We get that. Everybody's unique and and different. So there are some schools that have done, I think, a better job of recognizing that you can't just simply count number of publications and try to stuff somebody into a box that says, yeah, that looks like an associate professor, or yeah, that looks like a professor, because they're so unique and have different impact, national and international impact, in different ways. And that's manifested differently depending on their own combination. So we spent a little bit of time, and I think it was only an hour session, so it was it was pretty fast. But then I said, you know, okay, we, we talked about how we get how to do one-on-one working with faculty, but how do we scale that up? And I think, again, it was Archie Chatterjee who said, well, uh, we think precision medicine and precision precision education as one patient, one learner. So that's why we were focused on one faculty member, precision faculty development. But then we recognize, well, we have to scale that up. You know, how do we do that for hundreds and thousands of faculty? Well, that led to this idea of, all right, where are the gaps? So what would we need to do to be able to scale this up? And this is where we got into the idea of, okay, certainly no, we know the gaps are nobody has time. 
There's no time in the day for our faculty. There's no time in the day for any of us. Um, we hear it's everybody's in the cult of busy. Right? I'm so busy. We've not had to, time to go to the restroom or eat in weeks and months and all this or sleeping. Nobody has time for anything. Understood. Nobody has any budget or resources. Understood. Um, everyone's being discourteous and, you know, this uncivil behavior is running rampant and bullying and people are being um, acting badly and so we know all these things are our gaps and problems that we have to deal with. Uh, we don't have adequate peer mentoring or team mentoring models. And some of the gaps are that we have this buffet menu of faculty development offerings, which Martin and I, Dr. Feeder, were talking yesterday about this, this idea of a you know, smorgasbord or, or huge food court. Faculty come into our universities and they're kind of, they walk in the middle of the food court and their heads are spinning around and we're saying, you know, what do you want for lunch? And you want this, you want that, you want something fast, you want something slow, do you something, something cheap or more expensive, something uh, this or that. And they're, it's just too many to choose from. They may be overwhelmed by the uh, options. They don't know what they want or they're like, well, I want pate. And we're like, well, geez, our food court doesn't offer pate. Uh, we have you know, sushi. No, that won't do. Well, then that's a, a mismatch. So we we talk about the buffet menu can be good, but a gap could be that it's just it's too much and it's just too overwhelming. And maybe it's that you get that decision paralysis. So that was part of that conversation. But anyway, the the one gap that was mentioned that I found really intriguing got to my whole idea of, again, moneyballing faculty development was this idea of faculty phenotypes or profiles of faculty members. So someone mentioned in the room, uh, you know, they're like, well, back, Kim, back to your Amazon.com model. There's Ancestry.com. There's 23andMe, these ideas of, you know, genetic profiling. Can we profile faculty types? And I think I'll, I'm going to hold that for a second because keeping that um, as in mind of a phenotype, how do we reach fa different faculty members? Or as Martin talks about, how do we get these horses to the, to the water? I'm going back to my the books I've been reading of uh, the Undoing Project, Social Animal, is I got thinking about, again, the model, the, the, the mathematical model or computing and how can we, we have a lot of data. Um, you know, part of the challenge with the, the um, well, the, the way the Moneyball concept came up was uh, this baseball uh, the Oakland Athletics, and they were having trouble recruiting, or they wanted better new ways to value baseball players and their strategies. So they got this guy who like loved data, and and the way that Kahneman ended up winning the, for example, the Nobel Prize um, as a psychologist, he wasn't an economist, was he had a, all this data. Well, uh, yeah, we have data too. We just don't put it all together. But back to the data thing, I'm a sociologist by training, so lots of quantitative stuff. So I got right into a, a you know regression model. So if Y is a function of X, the first question as a faculty development that is then what is the Y? What is the what is the dependent variable? Is it a is it a, is it a good recruit? Is it high retention? Is it time to promotion? 
Is it promotion? Is it number of publications, number of grants, satisfaction, low burnout? What are the whys? So that kind of sent me off on a a, a tangent thinking there's so many whys, there's so many dependent variables if we're going to try to predict something. Then it's a function of X. Well, what are the X's? What are the indep- independent variables? What are all the factors we would need to model? Of course, the sociodemographics, it's age, it's sex, it's gender, it's ethnicity, it's, uh, is it religion? Is it uh, p- parental training? Is it, is it undergraduate, graduate training? Is it IQ? Is it EQ? Uh, income? Is it marital status, number of children, field, specialty, on and on and on and on and on. And then then you start thinking, well, what is the slope and how would these things look? And then I got to the point in the regression equation, you know, the y is a plus bx, where then you get the e, you get the error. How do we measure the error? And that's where Kahneman and that the money ball stuff is that they figured out that and I'm oversimplifying this, and there, you have a certain thing of a gist, like the numbers weren't working the way they thought they should, that um, the models weren't predicting how they thought they should predict because of error, because of thinking error and cognitive biases and assumptions we make. And that ran me right back to, oh my gosh, well, Kim, what are you doing? How could we model this mathematically when back up with, at least with ordinary least squares regression, there are certain assumptions we make. And two of the, I think four assumptions are linearity and normality. And then I'm like, wait a minute, you know, there's nothing linear about a career, a faculty member's career. Our, the career trajectories go off all over the place. And there's certainly nothing normal, you know, back to Charlie Irvin's, you know, faculty are snowflakes uh, or, and tumors. There no, there's nothing normal about these things. Is there anything normal? How can we try to predict something that's not normal or linear and all this unknown error? It's like trying to predict a cloud. You Clouds are better predicted or described through qualitative data. You can describe a cloud. You can't predict the cloud. I think that was in the, the undoing project or maybe the social animal. I don't know. Um, or similarly, that they, they talked about catching a fly ball. Uh, no computer would ever be able to calculate how to catch a fly ball because there are too many trajectories to calculate. But a good player would be able to look up in the air and calculate the speed and the drop, and they'd be able to catch that. So there's something about a gist or a feeling, which brought me right back to, again, what we do is in faculty development. How do we come up with these programs? How do we reach our faculty? How do we maximize our work? Because we all have inadequate resources and and no, no time ourselves, and it's just so much. And then we, Martin and I were talking, again, Martin Feeder yesterday, and he hooked me on to this Isaac Asimov's, I guess that's an old foundation trilogy. And this, Asimov talked about, he made up this, con, this term psychohistory, being able to predict the past that comes down to lots of data. You need lots of data. And so I have to read that book. I'm really um, curious about that. But a lot of these things, you know, I'm reading and we're thinking about come always come back to the data. So I can't help but, again, in my monkey mind here thinking, we have data. Are we perhaps not utilizing it like we can? So now I want to shift back to this phenotype 
concept that we talked about in our Ignite session is, is this, maybe this is too simplistic, but if we talk about, you know, Martin's basic question, how do we get the horse, the horses to the water? How do you entice faculty members to, first of all, want to engage in faculty development and then drink the Kool-Aid and recognize that, uh, work with us to help the precision faculty development? How do we get them to say, yeah, this is for me? And that's the whole idea of this carrot and stick concept. And, and you know, in addition to Amazon.com, you think about politics too, you know, President Trump, you know, and how people in politics have figured out a good way of using carrots and sticks, pr- primarily sticks, you know, fear or scare tactics as a stick. So, Maybe faculty members, if you're not going to be engaging with faculty development, uh, you know, you're going to have lower rates of uh, promotion or you're not going to be as successful. You're probably not going to have as many leadership positions. You're probably going to have higher burnout. So we put the fear of God into them that, oh, my gosh, I, I better, you know, haul myself to the faculty development landscape and get involved there because I'm afraid now I'm going to be a failure. And, of course, to be able to say that, we'd have to have the data that documents that that is in fact true, that's the stick side. The carrot side is, oh my gosh, do you know friends of yours who who bought these red shoes also bought this red dress and they're loving it and they're crushing it. They're all over social media. People are really, you know, they're, they're, they're number one out there. You gotta, gotta do it too. And so, oh, that's the whole seduction. That's, I wanna be there too. I wanna be successful. I wanna have the nice shoes, the nice dress. Of course, not a metaphor, but I want to take those classes and learn how to be a leader and communicate better and negotiate better and build teams better. Yeah, that's great. I want to be just like those folks who are doing it well. So seducing them uh, as our South American counterparts at Johns Hopkins International, this one guy said, laughed at me and he said, oh, you in America, you always talk about recruiting and retaining your faculty. We talk about seducing them. Maybe that's a different conversation as well, about, especially in the Harvey Weinstein uh, world. But anyway, we'll put that aside. But carrot, seduction, uh, enticement, whatever you want to say it versus fear or, or sticks. Well, that got me to this, um, again, the phenotyping. If you imagine with me uh, a two-by-two, two. so two-by-two two matrix, we have engagement at the upper left and unengaged. So imagine it's engagement, top left column, unengagement or unengaged right column. And for lack of anything that sounds intelligent on the row, it's okay. And the bottom row is not okay. So we have a two by two. Engaged, unengaged, they're okay, they're not okay. And again, I understand this is being very simplistic and crude. So apologies to everybody out there who's like already totally annoyed with me. But if in the upper right-hand quadrant where they're unengaged with the faculty development, unengaged with the concept of faculty development, and these could be leaders, department leaders, whatever, or faculty, but they're okay. Okay meaning, what do you mean, Kim, they're okay? Well, by all measures, their RVUs are fine. Their student evaluations are fine. They're publishing at a good pace, they are getting grants or they're applying for grants, they they don't seem to be burning out by all uh, objective measures. And that's, again, the why with the why, the dependent variables, we haven't really established what we're talking about here. But they're okay by some measurable um, 
criteria. They're unengaged with us. They're okay. Well, we put a big X through that box. We're going to leave them be. Those are the, the self-learners. They may never engage with us because they're too cool for school. And they maybe they are uh, because they're like, they don't need this. Uh, they've had great mentorships. They're, they're born knowing what they want to do and they're off and running. We don't need to worry about them, so to speak. So we put an X through that box, or at least I did. Now I shifting over one quadrant to the left. That's the engaged and they are okay. So these are the faculty or the directors or leaders in my mind who are, they they drink the Kool-Aid. They understand that faculty development is a benefit um, that is helpful to them, that can, can help them improve in various ways. And they're okay. So again, by those objective measures, they seem to be doing well and they are engaged. They are in the choir. They're in our parish, if you will. They, they are... They're tithing. They get it. So we're going to put a, a check mark because we're checking the box. Those people are doing well. They're helping. Uh, we're keep, keeping track of them, and we're very satisfied with that group. Now I'm dropping down in the lower left quadrant. Those folks are engaged, but they're not doing okay. So these are the folks we say, well, what? It's a big question mark. What's going on here? If they are engaged in our faculty development efforts, but they're not doing okay because what? They don't have the adequate RVUs or getting maybe bad teaching evals. They're not publishing their grants. They're not writing grants or the grants aren't getting funded. They've got low satisfaction or high burnout or fill in the blank or whatever the, the dependent variable is or are. What, what do we need to do here? Uh, why are they not? Do we need more of something do we need different some things? And this is, I think, where precision faculty development probably makes the most sense. Theirs, they need the 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 more intense um, the the electives. They need that's maybe the phenotype, the group where we should focus our efforts on them uh, because they're not satisfied or they're not. Um, they just need more intense intense work. So maybe that's where precision faculty development fits in. Then the final uh, cell is the lower right quadrant where they are unengaged and they're not okay. So maybe these folks won't, won't ever engage with us. They think they're fine. They think they don't need us, but they actually do. Um, these, so they're not working with us at all. And by some measures, they're, they're in trouble, uh, behaviorally in trouble. They're you know, emotionally, mentally, leadership-y, they're in trouble. So then it's like, where do we, how do we get them in that upper left quadrant? How do we get them to engage and then be okay? Or at least minimally shift to the left. How do we get them engaged and um, figure out how to get them out of the not okay? Or, you know, how do we work with them? So I'm thinking that precision faculty development fits in the bottom two quadrants. And if the lower right quadrant is where Again, back to Martin Feeder, how do we get those folks to the water? How do you bring the horses to the water? You can get a horse to the water, but you can't make them drink. So how do we get them to the water? And then how do we make them drink? Well, you know, maybe this is another conversation, but I'm just going to keep going here. So, um, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And we know that we don't know this, that epistemological modesty, right? The knowledge of how little we do know. And what Kahneman and Moneyball and this 
this idea that you know David Brooks and the social animal teaches us that we're with behavioral economics we know that people are irrational we have these cognitive biases so how do we how do we figure out what we don't know and help uh, get these faculty engaged and then figure out what they don't know and help them help them you know buy in maybe we don't what maybe we don't focus our efforts on getting them to the water but what but rather we bring the water to them maybe that's exactly where the precision faculty development goes is that we don't wait for them to come to us although behavioral economists will say people will change when they are ready to change but maybe we entice them or seduce them by you know, bringing the water to where they are and sitting it down there, bringing them a nice little uh, pretty pettifor or a nice pair of shoes or a nice frosty beer and you put it down next to them and then you walk away. You're welcome. And then they're intrigued and they're enticed and we and then they start thinking, hmm. And And by that, I mean, we get smart about delivering our faculty development in as a, and I can't remember the colleague's name, because years back they talk about doing snippets, S-N-I-P-P-E-T-S, snippets of faculty development, that we just kind of tickle and tease with little bits of um, yummy, delicious, or inspiring, or little sound bites that show them and help reinforce this idea that, yeah, we can help fit faculty development into your crazy busy world and um, maybe that's one way that we don't focus our efforts on bringing them to us rather we go to them uh, and again all this is on the backdrop of the, this fact that our faculty member are comp- faculty members are completely overwhelmed overworked undervalued under you know burnouts high and crazy and and it reminded me of one of the books I was reading Frederick Taylor talked about you know, we're trying to turn faculty, factory, I'm sorry, factor, factory workers into hyper-efficient cogs. Frederick Taylor talked about factory workers, hyper-efficient cogs. And of course, anytime I read anything, I always substitute faculty. And I feel the same way. We're trying to turn our faculty into hyper-efficient cogs, but to what expense, to what cost? And we're seeing that. We're seeing it in the burnout. And we're seeing that in perhaps people becoming cynical about uh, faculty development and its value and its, its um, you know, the level of engagement we have or don't have. Anyway, uh, I think I'm going to probably wind up there but it's just by saying that the precision faculty development, I think, is an interesting model. I think there's a lot that we need to think and explore more. We need theory. We need framework. We we need to know more about behavioral economists. Maybe we can get some of them, you know, on in faculty development. Maybe we can invite some to our conferences in the future. Um, I don't know. It's it's confusing. As Dan, and Dan Shapiro at Penn State, I love this guy. He's so creative. And his podcast, maybe you listen to it. He says, I don't know. I'm confused every day. And that's how I feel. It's, but what a blessing. What a gift it is for us to be working in this field where we have the uh, capacity to help and impact so many uh, young people, the people of our future. So I don't know, it's it's interesting. And as as my mom always says, Scarlett, Scarlett Skorupski, my mother always says, oh, who has more fun than people? Which is so ridiculous. But anyway, that's my mom. Well, 
I hope I didn't annoy you too much. Um, I just wanted to keep the conversation going. Let's talk about precision faculty development, joining the conversation. You know, I don't know. You have any thoughts on how we can moneyball faculty development? Uh, I join the join the join the podcast. I I told somebody at the conference. You know, I I, I do the. They said, "Oh, do you have a studio?" I said, "Yeah, I got a studio. It's in my basement." And and they're like, "Oh, I, I don't. I couldn't get to your basement. You know, I don't have that kind of budget." And I'm like, "Well, no, no, no." I sit in my basement. You just call me. You call me on the phone and we talk. I'm in my pajamas or my sweatpants, but you can call me from anywhere. So shoot me an email if you want to be on the podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. Uh, Thanks for uh, being on the Faculty Factory podcast. Uh, Spread the news and hope to see you all at the next conference. It's not been, we don't know where it's going to be, but see you all next time. Thanks. Bye. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.